Welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast, leading the way in the business of medicine. Now here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello everyone and welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast. I'm your host, Terry Fletcher. The EDGE podcast is brought to you today by the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. Our goal is to discuss healthy business principles, have a conversation on the business side of medicine so that you and your practice can thrive, be profitable and successful for years to come. This week on the EDGE podcast, I welcome fellow NSCHBC member Jackie Jaycox, healthcare CPA and financial consultant. With over 13 years of experience in both public and private accounting, Jackie has earned the reputation as an accomplished CPA who delivers high quality financial and advisory service to clients in the healthcare industry. Her areas of specialization include provider compensation models and valuations, due diligence and business valuations for healthcare mergers and acquisitions, physician practice management and accounting, provider relief fund single audits, management service organization information development and enhancement, so MSOs, and also the administrative fee valuations, and other projects and analysis. Welcome to the podcast, Jackie. Thank you, Terry. I'm so excited to be here and thank you for having me. I look forward to talking to you today. You bet. We're really happy to have a subject matter expert like yourself, especially because I think there's um, maybe a misperception or not really an understanding of what an MSO or management services organization is and how they compare to an ACO. And so we'll, we'll kind of talk about that today. Let's see. So one thing I want to get started with, maybe you can give us just kind of in a nutshell or kind of a definition. What is an MSO? Uh, So management service organizations is a separate entity that's usually established to manage the administrative and like non-clinical functions of a medical practice or even healthcare organization. And so the key to a, a management services organization or MSO um, is that it really streamlines the administrative tasks and improves the operational efficiency for healthcare practices and facilities. And I would say the big uh, key differentiator of why, why an MSO for a medical practice is it can be owned by licensed providers or non-licensees. So that's really where we see the entrance of private equity or venture capital investors even hospitals or family members of the physician owners. Oh, wow. Okay. So, well, gosh, you brought up all kinds of questions now that I have, (laughs) and I'm sure that our listeners have. So I would assume then, based on what you said, this is a company with a separate entity that provides non-clinical services to medical practices like, you know, um, payroll and maybe, you know, care management, financial, administrative services, right? Yeah. So I always think of it as anything non-clinical. So that can be practice management services, revenue cycle management, human resources. Those are just a couple examples. There's IT support, accounting and financial management, marketing, you know, then you can name it as long as it's not um, healthcare service, then it can, it can be under the MSO. So you're not administering like physical therapy or exactly. Okay. Yeah. And not even in, um, in a lot of cases, it depends on the state, but, um, a lot of cases they can't, the MSO can't employ the physicians. So all like, um, malpractice oh. liability, for example, for the physicians and benefits and compensation still has to stay with the medical practice. 
Well, so that brings up a question. Does the MSO, are they the ones that they have the employees to staff, not, uh, you know, not withstanding the physicians go, obviously they have to be on their own, but mm -hmm. do they staff like the front office and back office, things like that? Or do they just manage yeah. who's in place? So it depends on every agreement. Now the MSO can um, employ those providers or sorry, non-providers. So um, in the cases of, you know, employee recruiting, they can hire, they can train, they can um, do the benefits administration, but they can truly have all the staff that they provide from the MSO versus having it on the medical practice um, profit and loss statement or financials. What have you what have you found has worked better with and actually I'm asking this because I see a lot of practices that hire family and so yes. then <laughs> but they want to, you know, kind of outsource, if you will, the administrative process, which I'm thinking that's what the MSO is for. And yes. so um, how does that work when now you're managing you know, family that's actually related to the providers. Is that tough? Yeah. And I, I will say a lot of times when you see, it just depends on the MSO that they are looking to collaborate or have a agree agreement with. Um, a lot of times we see the exit of family members during that time. Yeah, um, so I will say that's Chad is just being honest. Um, that's usually a nice, nice segue yeah. for family members to exit. Well, um, and it's, it's not so our listeners know we're not saying no, anything yeah. against no, family members, no, but not at all. And, and actually I will say on the latter side of that, um, some MSOs are formed for the sole purpose of having a practice um, owner be able to have their um, next of kin, for example, have some kind of stake in the practice. So if they have the skills from a management perspective, by all means in the healthcare realm, if they are qualified and they're doing a great job for the medical practice and they want their kids to have a stake in the practice or ownership, but they aren't a provider, um, and they live in a state where you have to be a provider to own it, then MSO is a great option. And that's where we see them split out the medical practice and create their own MSO. So there, there's that side of it too, that, you know, in a case where a family member is doing a great job and they should stay on, um, that's a benefit too. Well, now does, does your company that you work for, uh, and you can say it on air, who do you work for yeah. MSRs? Uh, Mazars, yeah. Yeah. So, do, do, are you guys um, an MSO offering, or do you help create MSOs for providers? Good question. So, we actually help create MSOs, okay, and um, and we help with the administrative fee valuations because okay. one of the key things about MSOs that I can't stress enough is because of the laws and regulations around them, it's imperative that they have sound healthcare lawyers involved to make sure the contracts are, are appropriate and um, in line with the laws and regulations in healthcare. But in addition to that, also making sure that their contracts are within fair market value because okay. of the very, very detailed laws that in healthcare also that, that make sure that there's um, an appropriate fair market value arrangement between the MSO and the medical practice. So you, you're out of New York, correct? Correct. So um, I work out of New York and actually um, 
funny enough, I work remotely out of New York from Nebraska. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. I'm like, where's your accent? I was waiting for the, you just have a New York accent. I don't hear one. <laughs> yeah. So I, I get the luxury of getting to go to New York and I love New York and New Jersey. I have a lot of clients there too. Um, but I have clients all over the U.S., and being very centrally located, it actually is super beneficial. So that's awesome. Well, it's yeah. funny because as soon as I knew we were going to be talking about this topic, I started doing some research just where I'm in California. So I'm on the opposite end of the, the country where you are. Mm -hmm. And it is like you said, it's regulated. There are some oh, yeah. all kinds of rules. And I think California has some of the toughest. I was just mm -hmm. like, wow, that's so it takes somebody like yourself to. Yeah be able to navigate through that regulatory water, right? Yeah. And we have, um, we actually have offices in California too. Nice. And so we have a whole team that we work with in California with MSOs um, specifically for that reason, because New York and California, I mean, there's lots of states with lots of regulations around them, but New York and California are some of the more stringent um, states with uh, laws and regulations. Probably due to population. I would think Florida probably is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Florida has like their own kind of unique rules, <laughs> as you can imagine. I can imagine. Now, here's a question, because just based on what we've already talked about, um, and you say you can create them, you know, as a separate entity for providers as well. Does an MSO usually have more than one provider group, or are they um, independent to that particular provider group? Great question. So usually, it I would say it depends. If it's a practice, a medical practice that's bifurcating their financials or splitting out their financials to create an MSO, it always starts out with just one practice usually, um, unless they own like multiple practices already. And um, and then from there, the idea is to the economies of scale. So then you start to bring on more contracts with more medical practices because the true, if you want to meet the true benefit of an MSO, you're going to want more than one practice under it because of the economies of scale. You know, you can um, consolidate and and really scale and improve the operational efficiency the more practices you bring in under it. Well, and that kind of brings to a, a separate question, which this is what I keep thinking about is that right now, especially with the No Surprise Act, which I'm sure you're familiar with, mm -hmm. and some of the things that people are dealing with, with being in network or out of network, some doctors are just so frustrated with that, that they're like, well, I just need to get on a panel. Yes. Well, some panels are closed, exactly. but, I, but aren't the MSOs sometimes in a better position because of having a, a kind of a larger network of not only providers, but a little bit more administrative muscle there to be able to not only negotiate, but not burden the physicians with that? Yes. So I will say that's, you know, owning a medical practice has become so complex oh, and yes. that's yeah. really, I mean, we all know it, right? And yeah. so that's really where the MSO brings a lot of value because we always ask medical practices, you know, what what are they bringing to the table for you? I think that's the most important question when they're even considering um, when they get approached by an MSO that may already be established. We always ask that question first. What what's in it for that practice to have that arrangement? Because you really are giving away a lot of that control from a non-clinical administrative um, perspective, and so. You know, one thing we always say is 
make sure that a they have great contracts you know for example are do they have good payer contracts and um because a lot of times that's where the efficiency is gained um because they may have a higher administrative fee than their overhead is existing but they would then benefit from the negotiation contract negotiation perspective so they're the benefits would outweigh the costs in that scenario. So one thing that we do with our practices that I, I I call it the due diligence phase because, you know, when a practice is, is approached by an MSO, it's so imperative that that practice just doesn't take everything at face value and the arrangements that they bring to them can be very complex. And so I always like to work that's where they kind of bring us in to work with the MSO that that is looking to work with them. And we get down to a very granular level on the financial statements and say, okay, let's put together a historical hypothetical analysis is what I call it. And we look down to expense line item, whether that MSO would cover it or not. And you would be shocked at how many things that like, the practice would have thought would have been uncovered going forward, but actually isn't. And so that's where I think it's just doing that due diligence up front and really understanding what's going to be covered, what's not going to be covered, what benefits are they bringing me? That's the big um, important question because, um, you know, we work with practices all the time that because of that due diligence phase, they're able to go back and say, well, since you're not covering this or my comp isn't going to look as good then you need to, you know, be flexible on your fee. You know, so there's that type of stuff to think about. Well, it's funny because um, I'm a coder, biller, reimbursement, you know, uh, auditor, so I'm not in your space. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, I stay in my lane and I get a lot of, um, of my clients going, can you just please do an evaluation of my practice? I'm like, no. Um, can you do a valuation of this or that? And I'm just like, so now I know my go-to person is going to yes. be Jackie. Um, yes, please. But here's the funny thing. Um, I actually, one practice, they said, you know, we're just bleeding, we feel reimbursement, we just don't feel like, you know, we think there's a leak somewhere. So I said, all right, let me just evaluate your explanation of benefits from your top four payers. That I can do. So I I went and (laughs) took a look and one thing, and this is going to circle back to a question about an MSO role, is that I noticed that, and this is weird, all the female physicians in this practice, and it was a practice of 40, and they had 17 female physicians, the rest were male physicians. Um, their reimbursement for uh, office visits at certain levels was about nine cents less to about 15 cents less. And I just happened to notice it and I looked over and I'm like, that's almost on every contract. So then I went through and looked and they signed a contract to pay their female physicians less and they didn't even know it. Oh my gosh. And, but the that's... thing is, is that one of the doctors basically said, of course, not one of the female doctors who was like, you kidding me. <laughs> Um, they were like, uh, you're, are you serious right now? And they said, and one of the other doctors said, it's only nine cents. I'm like, oh my gosh. You're like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care if it's a half a cent. I know. Why is, why is that doctor based on gender? Why is that doctor worth less than you when you're the same specialty, same education, same, same, same. And yeah. why do you let the payer do that? So are you, does an MSO kind of also evaluate contracts and, and at least look to see if they're, yes. okay, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. great so, to know. 
So now MSOs, I will say, if they're in a state where, you know, they have to keep clear separation between the medical practice, they will not be responsible for the physician compensation, how they allocate that out. However, they will look at the agreement. And that's really where I think it's super imperative to make sure they bring in competent healthcare attorneys on both sides, as well as consultants, because one of my favorite areas to talk about is physician compensation. And I do a lot of physician compensation, uh, fair market values. But that's the biggest thing is just making sure it's a good time to reevaluate how are the physicians getting paid? Does it all make sense? And is it fair market value? Right. Especially with the sliding scales of contracts. And yes, we just, we, yeah, we just got the fee schedule proposal from Medicare, which shows where they want us to take another 3% cut. And so I guess, of it would course, base, yeah, it, it would base also on what kind of practice you have. Now, our MSOs, do they have a required specific set or minimum number of services they have to offer? No. Okay. So I will, yeah, I will say that it's not, no, I will. The biggest thing is that the fee aligns with with what the services are being provided. Okay. So that's really what it comes down to is, um, again, stressing the fair market value of the administrative fees, because you can't be, for example, just providing one small service and charging an astronomical amount, because that's not gonna that's not gonna pass muster. No, right now, um, is it? It does it make a difference. Well, I know it does, but on what scale? I guess if you're a single practitioner, do you do you really need an MSO, or is it more for larger, you know, more populated practices with, with at least what ten providers or whatever? So I have seen single practice owners um, and, and single practice providers have an MSO help out. And really the key there is the economies of scale. They're able to, you know, really benefit from the contract negotiation perspective and then also try to keep overhead down because of how expensive it is to run a practice these days. Um, so it's, you know, the MSO might not be in charge of all their functions. For example, staffing, they might not need that help from the MSO, but um, there are perspectives that the MSO could really help bring for the legal aspect, you know, because they'd be able to help with attorney fees and IT fees and um, all of that. So the practice doesn't have to have that burden. It almost sounds like it's a, it's a way to have a local meaning not just necessarily in your backyard but um access to an organization that has your back on administrative services absolutely okay so then i I just a quick question on acos because i know that's not the same thing right yeah at all and a lot of doctors think it is they look at accountable care organizations and think oh well that's my mco i'm like well no, what that is, is that's a little different. You know, that's a bunch of yeah. physicians basically kind of getting together. They're trying to reduce healthcare costs and they call it improving equality um, throughout by basically collaborative efforts of um, all these physicians together. But they also get some financial incentives from CMS if they reach certain yeah. benchmarks. But what's really the the difference there? I would think an ACO still might need an MSO. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So ACOs, um, they're formed by a group of doctors or hospitals to really just at the core of it, improve healthcare delivery to Medicare patients. So it's still very much the 
the medical side and of services, whereas an, a management services corporation or MSO is um, it can be formed also by physicians, but it's to really outsource the business side of their job. So that's at, at the high level. If you were to look at the two differences, I would say ACO is more, you know, how to streamline care and improve healthcare delivery to patients versus the management side of the function. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So just to, to kind of wrap up this discussion here on, on MSOs, if somebody was to call you, Jackie, and say, okay, we're considering an MSO, we've been approached by one that wants you know us to join, or we'd like to start our own, what would be a couple of questions, the first thing you'd say, here's what you need to do first? Yeah, the, the first thing I would ask them is why? You know, what's their, what's their, I mean, there's, it's Nobody just ever knows asking, the answer to that question. <laughs> well, and the thing is, there might be things that are happening within their practice that they just can't manage themselves and, um, or they can't keep their costs under control or, you know, there, everybody kind of has their own motivation for why they're interested. And, um, so the first question there would just be, you know, what, what benefits do you see from this? And if they don't know, that's really where we have a chance to take that proposal from the MSO and really start to dig in to see, you know, under a hypothetical scenario, is it beneficial? Is it, is it actually going to help me out without just them saying, Hey, we're here to help you. <laughs> you know, that only right. takes it so far. Right. So well, it sounds like it's kind of like a private equity thing that comes to these doctors waving stuff in their face. And it's like, wait, 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 let's do some, let's do some due diligence research here. Is it yeah. something you actually need first? And, and what is your objective? Why, why do you want to outsource this? Right? Yeah. And it, and I will say it's not all MSOs aren't all private equity owned. Um, but every MSO brings its own benefits. And so that's really where you try to make sure that the benefits you're being told you're going to have actually pass um, the the inspection of when you're doing your due diligence. Now, MSO doesn't lose the physician's autonomy like some private equity does, does it? It's it's different, right? So that's really where there's different types of MSOs where they can buy their the practice's tangible assets and manage them directly. So that actually does restrict some autonomy somewhat, um, but it doesn't go as far as, you know, employing the physicians, but it would be much more difficult for a physician to terminate an agreement with an MSO if they own all their practice assets or own their office, for example, because um, that's another thing they can own their facilities and rent it back to the practice. So I would say there's all different types of arrangements, but when it's just business services, to the practice, they can remain quite independent of the MSO and choose whether, um, you know, once the contract agreement or um, terms come up for re-evaluation, they're able to make decisions based on how it's going. That makes sense. I, it's just um, trying to just kind of get my head around if if I was wanted to recommend this to a provider that administratively, they just keep hiring, 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 and yeah. they're not they're not really getting to where they need to get. I mean, perfect yeah. example, a lot of phys physicians practices hire me to audit. 
and then I find an and then I find problems. I find things they're not billing for, or things they shouldn't be billing for, <laughs> um, or just it's just sometimes a mess. And I bring them the audit results, and then they kind of put it in a basket, and they don't do any kind of corrective action. And why have the audit? Why put yourself through the expense? And why keep hiring people if you don't have a way to fix it? Yeah, that's painful. And and again, like that's where if they can't get good billers, for example, MSOs can provide billers. So um, it's just, yeah, it's a matter of what the practice needs are and then evaluating what the benefits versus costs are for an MSO. Okay. So it sounds definitely like a way to alleviate administrative burden and in yes. all kinds of different areas for the providers. Yep, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate you being here today. I, I can't tell you how informative this was, and I hope to have you again uh, on the podcast. Thank you so much, Terry. It was fun. Okay, great. This topic could not come at a better time with the unrest we are seeing financially in healthcare and other industries, so we appreciate Jackie's time and insight with us. To contact Jackie directly, you can go to nschbc.org website, click on the Find the Consultant tab, and type in Jackie, J-A-C-K-I, in the first name field, or Jaycox, J-A-C-O-X, in the last name field, and you'll have her direct contact information. Also, as a reminder, the nschbc.org website offers monthly free webinars on a variety of topics, as well as quarterly Medicare regulatory updates. Please go to nschbc.org and click on the tab Upcoming Education. That's it for us today, everyone. Make it a great day and a great rest of your month. And thank you for listening to the NSCHBC podcast. I'm Terry Fletcher. Thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. Join us on the second Tuesday of each month as our consultants tackle the complexities of navigating the business of medicine. You can reach us on the web at nschbc.org, the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants.